Enter the creative world with FjordCast. Explore a variety of trends in the creative landscape, getting insider knowledge and advice from the industry's best. Fjord is proud to present FjordCast with host Tim Barsness. Thanks for joining us on the FjordCast. I'm Tim Barsness, founder of web and mobile development team Fjord. And today in our show, we will be talking with Carl Sakis about his uh, agency consulting company, Sakis & Company. Welcome to the show, Carl. Tim, great to be here. We're glad to have you. Can, you. can you tell us a little bit about your company? Absolutely. If you're running a digital agency and you're hitting growing pains, I can help you fix those growing pains. Got it. Um, so you're a company that works with agencies? Yes. Uh, occasionally people will say, oh, you're like an agency for agencies. Uh, well, it's really more consulting, coaching, and training, but uh, the, the model works. Sure. So how did you get into that? I started in the industry in digital marketing 20 years ago. In high school, I learned HTML. I started building websites and found that I, I enjoyed that, but I was really interested in helping people solve their business problems. Fast forward to more recently, I helped run the business operations side of two agencies and put all that together in 2013 to launch my business. Got it. Very cool. Um, so. You, you took your experience within a couple agencies and turned it into a co consultancy. Uh, what does your team look like now? I am the full-time consultant and coach, and then I have several freelancers helping with marketing, admin, things like that. Got it. Um, what, uh, wh what prompted you to start your consulting service? What, I mean, it, it, I understand that you had, had a background in it, but what, what made you take the leap? I saw this opportunity, which was that agency owners typically start their agency because they love some aspect of the work. Maybe it's design or development or PR or writing or, or what have you. And so they start an agency. The problem is running an agency is very different from, say, being a designer. Now you're dealing with hiring and firing and client service and sales and more. And it's, it's challenging. In my case, I had experience supporting agency owners as the director of operations and as a project manager. And I have experience working with people as a consultant since high school, starting as a web designer, and also a family background in business. So business just seemed normal to me. I put it all together. And so far, I've helped 300 agencies in 30 countries. 300, that's incredible. Yeah. What does a typical engagement look like for you? It certainly depends on what people are trying to accomplish. If people are looking for an ongoing sounding board, getting advice and accountability and perspective, in that case, I'll usually work with people as a coach. That's a monthly retainer, anywhere from four to 12 months, potentially longer if, if people want continued help. If people are at more of a turning point or a crossroads, in that case, I'll handle things as a project where I would gather the data, analyze things, make recommendations. For instance, uh, some cases where, say, an agency has, uh, has been growing on the top line, revenues are up, but margins are down. That's something that would work as a project. It could also be a case around an agency trying to reposition itself, where they're competing against specialists and they realize they need to specialize too. What is a, a good size agency for you? I've helped people anywhere from one person just getting started up to about 700 people. Typically, though, I'll, I'll work with agencies that are under 100. Got it. So they're roughly maybe 10 million in revenue then? Uh, up to, yes. And it's, it's, it's been a range. Okay. Got it. Very cool. Um, so 
I'm, I'm curious, what, as an agency consultant, um, what, what does your day-to-day look like? Day-to-day, I am doing calls to advise agency owners, uh, getting inquiries from people who need help, sorting out if, if things are a match for me to help them or not. Uh, creating content for my blog and, and other materials. My approach for marketing, you know, a lot of agencies have a shoemaker's kids problem. Uh, my approach is do certainly specialize. I only work with agencies and independently owned digital agencies in particular. Do thought leadership marketing to share lots of free advice, whether that's through blogging, podcast interviews like this, public speaking and more, written a couple books. Uh, and then ultimately do marketing automation, you know, so encourage people to get on my list to, to learn more. And when people need help, they, they can always reach out. Um, I heard you call out independently owned. Is there something something about independently owned agencies that makes them a good fit? Yeah, well, because that means the people I'm working with are the, you know, ultimately the final decision maker, whether they're the CEO in title or they're one of the partners running the agency. Uh, you know, ultimately, that that simplifies the decision process. You know, as opposed to having to go through layers and layers of management above the person. Uh, and ultimately, I'm able to make a, a bigger impact by working directly with the the owner or one of the one of the owners. Got it. And then you also said digital agencies. Um, anything about digital agencies that makes them a good candidate? I mean, that's that's been my experience. Occasionally, people say, "Well, how did you how did you get into digital?" And it's like, "Well, I've been doing that the whole time." You know, s- starting as a web designer in high school back in the days of dial-up and IE3. <laughs> Got it. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, you mentioned you've you've helped three hundred agencies. Um, what what is it about helping these agencies that that really means something to you, Carl? Well, I, I come from a business background. I'm a fourth-generation entrepreneur. I, I helped, you know, growing up, helped in my family's small business. One of my grandfathers was a business professor for 40-some years. So business just seems normal. Uh, the thing that I like is that often agency owners don't have any sort of a business background. Maybe they've worked at an agency before in, in different roles. A number of my clients have never worked at an agency before starting their agency. And so I like that the things that I'm good at make life easier for agency owners. And having been an agency employee in the past where you experience that kind of ups and downs and ups and downs roller coaster, I like that I'm making agencies a more stable place to work for thousands of people. Got it. Um, and what... Do you do you find that that most agencies have similar problems? There, there's definitely overlap. You know, everyone is unique, of course, but there tend to be certain themes. Uh, three themes in particular. One is around positioning and marketing challenges. You know, if you describe your agency as a full service agency and we work in in any industry you're going to have trouble competing with agencies that are specialists, that are specializing. You know, the model I use is if you need surgery, you're going to find a specialist, not just any any surgeon or, or any doctor. So specializing is important. It's risky, though. It's risky to say, we're only going to work with this type of client, and we're going to say no to everyone else. I occasionally get inquiries from people who only do print design, uh, or, or print marketing, and that's not a good fit for me. In that case, I'll refer them to someone who would be a better fit. 
So specialization, positioning, and marketing is, is important. That's, that's a key challenge that agencies struggle with. Another is around the agency structure they need to get the work done. For instance, agency client-facing roles tend to fit into three categories, account management, project management, and subject matter experts. And if you organize those in a way that don't make sense, you're going to run into all kinds of headaches. Also keep in mind that the structure that worked when you were 10 people is not going to work when you have 25 people or 50 people or 100 people. And the third area is you know, so we're looking at positioning and marketing. We're looking at agency structure in terms of team structure. And the third area is around leadership and management. You don't have to be a great manager to start an agency, but you better become one or else everyone is going to quit and you don't have an agency anymore. Interesting. Um, I'd love to love to get into those a little bit more um, if you're willing. So yeah. I'm curious, um, let's start with, with um, maybe the third the third bullet point you you mentioned, which is leadership and management, and like you said, to start an agency, you don't necessarily have to be a leader or great at management, um, but to run an agency at scale, you do. Now, can you first talk a little bit about what changes when you go from that those ten people to those twenty five people? Yeah, one of the big things is specialization. When you've got ten people, everyone is doing a bit of everything. Say you you do development work, among other things, at your agency. You've got a developer who's also doing client service, and he or she is also doing project management. They are making all the pieces fit together, managing their schedule, things like that. As you get larger, you start splitting things out. So typically around the 8 to 12 mark, you're going to hire a dedicated project manager. And as you head toward 25, you're going to start hiring more PMs and also split out account management as its own thing. Sometimes that means building pods. Sometimes that means having functionally oriented teams. But ultimately, you don't have someone who's a generalist doing everything and anything anymore. Got it. Um, so what do you do with the people who were historically generalists? They ultimately need to choose where they want to focus. And if they want to stay as generalists, you may have an opportunity for them, or it may be that ultimately the agency has outgrown them. Sure. I ran into that with a client where they they had been at that transition point where a number of their team members had started around like employee number seven, number eight. They were at about 25 and they're heading toward 35 and employees were like well i want to do a bit of everything and it's unfortunately that's not what the agency needs anymore got it yeah it's it's tough to to manage a, a, an entire team of people kind of doing things slightly different differently it's tough to have process and yeah and, and my advice in that case was be open with employees about the direction and if people conclude this isn't what they're looking for anymore help them find a new job that's a better fit yeah, got it. Um, so let's go backward then. Um, you said you also help with structure. Um, I'm I'm curious. Um, do you have a, a an organization chart that you feel is is the the best for a typical digital agency? I I have certainly some benchmarks I use. I, I think the challenge is that everyone is coming into the situation with the team they've got. Mm -hmm. You know, so in an ideal world, it's like, okay, let's start from scratch. What would we do? But of course, no one is starting from scratch. I'm working with a client in the Midwest that has 20-some employees. 
they probably should have added account management a while ago. And so now the, the thing that we're running into is how do we add account management when it hasn't been there before? They've got all of these silos. And so that that's a challenge. You know, if we had talked 10 people ago, we would have started building out a separate account management structure. Now the problem is they need it, but they don't have it, and they've got the silo. So we're, we're currently working on that. One of the other trends that's popular, and it, it can work, there's some challenges to it too, is building a pod model. That is, you've got many teams within the agency. They're headed perhaps by a creative director or other manager. Uh, you've got a project manager. You've got, depending on the nature of your work, a designer or two, a developer or two, a strategist or two, maybe someone handling some of the implementation as well. And the advantage of the pod approach is you can spin up new pods as you bring in more clients. The downside risk, of course, is that uh, that can lead to excessive competition within the agency. You know, you've got pod number one versus pod number two. Uh, so as long as you, you do it in a way that everyone realizes they're still on the overall same team, the pod structure can be a good way to scale. Got it. Interesting. Um, so who... Who is the leader of a pod then? What would you call them? Uh, I mean, I, I guess the, the generic term is they're the pod leader. <laughs> uh, so depending on the agency, that, that person could be a project manager. So they're an expert in getting projects and retainers done. They could be a senior strategist. In that case, they're an expert in the business and marketing and technical strategy for the clients. Uh, and, and in some cases, they could also be a creative director, kind of a, that mix of team management, project management, strategy, and you know, kind of a mix of everything. Absolutely. Um, let's go to positioning now. Um, how do you help agencies with their positioning? You mentioned the, the cobbler's kids scenario, um, but I'd love to, love to hear more about that. Yeah, I think one of the challenges when you're running a business, any business, but agencies in particular, is you don't want to say no to revenue. And you would think that the way to get maximum revenue is to do anything for anyone. And that leads to some sticky situations. For instance, a friend was working as a PM at a digital agency. One of their largest clients was moving to a new office, and they asked the agency, which did web design and online marketing, the client asked the agency to do the interior decorating for the client's new office. <laughs> the agency had no experience doing interior decorating, yet they said yes, because they wanted the revenue and they wanted to keep the, you know, keep the big client happy. And that's how my friend, the project manager, found herself at the fabric store looking at upholstery swatches. Did she have any experience in that? No. Did she have an interest in it? Yeah, she did have a personal interest in that. Was it a profitable engagement? Mm, she didn't really want to get into that. <laughs> Got it. Got so it. if you're going to say yes to everyone, it tends to lead to getting in over your head. In contrast, if you're working with the same industry in an, you know day in and day out, that makes your sales process easier because you can say, oh, if we worked with blah, blah, blah before, th that's all we work with. Here are some examples of, of people similar to you. It makes your project management process easier because you're not doing everything for the first time. Uh, it makes your marketing easier because your marketing is targeted to 
uh, a particular group or category of people. Uh, for instance, I have a client who specializes in adventure travel. All of her agency's marketing focuses on running an adventure travel business. And, and that's, that's an exciting example. I have another client who specializes in marketing for commercial HVAC, heating, ventilating, air, you know, air conditioning yep. contractors. Not quite as exciting, but extremely lucrative. You know, you close a, a deal there for a new, uh, help a client close a new deal there. You know, th this is going to be a, a six-figure deal easily for them. Got it. Um, so I'm curious, you, you know, you mentioned making sure that you're you're not, or hopefully you're not saying yes to everything, that you, you know who you are, who an ideal client is. Um, in your experience, is that best developed as a forward-looking, here's the type of client I would like to work with, or a hindsight-looking, here are the best clients that I've, um, that I've worked with thus far? When I work with clients, it's usually a combination of the two. Where do you want to go? You know, as Stephen Covey said, begin with the end in mind, and then we can work backwards from there. So knowing the type of agency a client wants to run in the future is helpful. For instance, are they planning to sell or are they planning to run it for the rest of their career? That, that helps to know. But usually there is a looking backwards part in the sense that your ideal future focus probably is an industry you've served before. It's probably not one you're parachuting into for the first time. So ultimately, we're looking at who are your most lucrative clients? Who, who are the people that have been good to work with? And sometimes clients are surprised. One of my clients specializes in professional services marketing, law firms, commercial real estate, accountants, stuff like that. And we were looking at new market opportunities and I asked them to list their top five clients five in terms of you know, revenue, but also they enjoyed working with and things like that. Only one out of the five of their favorite clients was in that professional services category. The rest were ones I would categorize as associations and economic development organizations. Well, they, they stumbled into a new industry focus, but it helped that they already had experience there. It wasn't the first time. Got it. Got it. Um, so let's go back to leadership. Just one follow-up question there. Uh -huh. um, you mentioned oftentimes a founder is very good at the type of work you do, but not necessarily very good at leadership. Um, are, can they be coached, or should they should they recognize um, you know staying with their strengths and and finding someone else um, to potentially run the agency? Uh, I would say yes and yes, both. Uh, that is, uh, if they want to get better, they certainly can. Uh, yep. And that's the, the background to my, my second book, Made to Lead, which is a pocket guide to managing marketing creative teams. If you want to get better, you absolutely can. I, and so that, that's a matter of having the right tools and then practicing and just wanting to do it. On the other hand, you, you may conclude, uh, you know, one of my clients said managing people to her, she said, felt gross. No matter what tools she had, she was never going to enjoy it. Right. And so in her case, I helped helped her restructure things so that one of her other team members was doing most of the day-to-day -day management, and then she was focusing more on the future around agency strategy. Uh, and, you know, occasionally I have cases where agency owners hate management so much that I recommend that they ultimately reposition and revamp the agency so that ultimately they become more of a super consultant rather than an agency owner. 
which does mean that their team is going to have to find new jobs. But, um, you know, I, I think life is too short. If you're running your own business, life is too short not to enjoy your work. Yeah, totally. Um, so I, I'm curious if you're familiar with um, uh, more general business operating systems like uh, Gino Wickman's Traction or the Rockefeller Habits. Yes, and, and many of my clients use them. Okay. And um, what is your feeling as to um, having using something like that for an agency? Any kind of system is going to help you make things make things easier. Uh, I'm currently reading one of the Warren Buffett biographies, Snowball, uh, and one of the things he talks about is having discipline, about not making uh, decisions that are passion-based. Now, that, that's not always going to work you know, in agencies. It certainly works in, in finance and investing. But I think having any kind of a structure is, is helpful. Um, and I'm actually working on my third book right now, which is around agency systems. Uh, and that'll, that will be specific to what works at agencies. Yep, got it. All right. Um, so let's move into a couple news stories today. Uh, we have two stories from the, the Sakis & Company blog. Uh, the first one titled, um, Charge More with Value Anchoring. Carl, can you tell us about that? Sure. A lot of agencies see value-based pricing as the holy grail of agency pricing. You know, they're through ways. Well, I, people see it as that. There, <laughs> there are some challenges, which is where value anchoring comes in. You know, so there, there are three agency pricing models, hourly, milestone, and value-based. And the promise of value-based pricing is that you're ultimately getting compensated proportionally to clients' results, according to the value mm -hmm. they're getting. Yep. The challenge is for that to work, you need to be good at measuring the value they're getting. Yep. Clients need to be on board with how you're measuring it. They need to mm -hmm. be comfortable with the measurement themselves. Often they're not. And you also have to trust the value they're reporting. Uh, and so there can be some challenges there. It also assumes that you're good at getting the work done both efficiently and effectively. Because if you're focused on delivering value, yet it takes forever to actually deliver on the value, that's not a great way to make money. Right. The opportunity is what I call value anchoring. And the idea there is it's a sales technique where you're comparing the value that clients get from hiring you, which is going to be high, mm -hmm. to what you're charging, which is going to be low relative to the value they're getting. Got it. So it's it's in a essence a way to help people help customers understand the the cost benefit of what what they'd be buying exactly here's an example at in the past one of my clients as the head of client services in an agency a client focused on cosmetic cosmetic dentistry uh, so they would do everything from teeth cleaning to what they called a smile makeover which was thirty thousand dollars now in my work with them, one of the things I dug into was what was the lifetime value of a new patient? Because the client was on retainer, they would occasionally do projects, but I wanted to, to sort out, we knew that we were bringing in a certain number of clients every month. What was the value of those right. clients? Ultimately, their estimate was that a new patient was worth about $4,500. Uh, as one of the partners in the dental practice said, uh, she was a dentist herself, uh, she said, after that, we've maxed out their mouth. <laughs> is that revenue or is that margin? That that is revenue. 
Got it. She didn't have margin details, but ultimately, based on how she'd structured the business, she was happy if she got 4500 in revenue. Yep. Uh, and so based on that, now that I knew it was 4500 and she was she was on board with 4500 because that was what she came up with herself, I was able to demonstrate every month in my reporting, here's how many new clients we helped you bring in. And we were able to do that because we had lead tracking set up with her office staff. So we were able to sort out people that had come through our efforts versus others. Sure. So for instance, if they brought in 20 new clients, thanks to us, I could point out in the next monthly report, we delivered $90,000 in value. Right. And considering they were only paying us $4,000 a month, Sounds like it was worth it. That was a great ROI for them. We were happy with the four thousand we were we were doing, uh, and it certainly made things easier to renew the retainer each year. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious. Uh, you know, in that lifetime value model that you called out, um, because I, I believe you said it was a dentist office. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So, um, what? I think, as I understand it, um, a dentist office likely extracts some value over time. It extracts, um, no pun intended. Yeah, right. Good point. Um, so, are are um, are you t- using uh, an average rate of attr- attrition to kind of estimate longer term lifetime value? That ultimately is going to give you a more accurate picture. Yeah, some of that's going to depend on on your business. You know, if if you're focused on really high value clients or that is your client is focused on high value clients mm-hmm. I, it's going to be hard to model that you know yep. for instance if you're a lawyer who specializes in certain types of business deals and you're going to get a you know hundred thousand dollar fee and maybe you're doing a couple of those a month you're not going to have a ton of data compared to say a SaaS company that's selling something for $20 a month and they've got thousands and thousands of customers. So some of that's gonna depend on the the nature of the business. Got it. Um, All right, let's move into our second article here. Uh, Also by Carl, it's titled Symptom Versus Root Cause. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the article, Carl? Yeah, people have a tendency to focus on the symptoms. What is it they're noticing? And they tend to jump to assumptions about what the problem is, the underlying root cause. Problem is, if you misdiagnose it and you're not treating the root cause, you're not going to solve the problem. And I, in the article, I share a medical example, which is that I went to the doctor after several days of abdominal pain. He diagnosed it as one thing, uh, and it turned out that was actually a misdiagnosis because rather than what he thought it was, I actually had a ruptured appendix. Right. A few days later, I went to the emergency room, you know, thousands of dollars later was was somewhat better, and then it actually came back again a couple months later, and they, they removed my appendix, thankfully. Uh, so I think that's a reminder that different symptoms can suggest different root causes, and you have to dig into the details to sort that out. And the nice thing there is that depending on the fidelity of the decision, if it's a high-risk situation, you want to spend some extra time figuring it out. If it's a low-risk one, you don't need to spend as much. But you need to figure out the root cause rather than getting distracted by the symptoms alone if you want to solve things. Right, got it. What what can people do to, um, I guess, understand whether they're solving a root cause or solving a symptom? What I do as a consultant is I'll ask why. 
and I'll ask a series of whys. Uh, so say people, you know, they, they note, uh, I, I met someone at an agency a couple years ago where he described himself as an incubator agency. Uh, that is, people would join after college, they'd work there for a year or two, and then they'd leave to make to make dramatically more money somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, and as I was digging into this, and he wasn't a client, I'd met him at a speaking engagement, that's one of the ways I give free advice, so I figured, let's let's ask some questions see if i can help him help him solve that uh you know and i I asked some questions around why do they leave and he said well you know i i pay them below market salaries okay well that's that's a factor i said well okay why do you do that he explained that um i said okay um you know what is your process for giving people raises and he said well people really have to ask for that and I was like, why do you assume that? And he had a, a rationale for that, which ultimately didn't match how recent graduates were approaching their career trajectory. Uh, and, you know, I, I ultimately had some advice for him. I, I later learned more recently that there were probably some other personality problems going on uh, around him as a boss, Yeah. Uh, which also made me glad that I didn't work with him as a client. Got it. So essentially justifying turnover as a strategy instead of a, uh, an issue. I, I mean, he there were a lot of things going on there. Yep, got it. Okay, sure. Um, well, we are out of time, so that's it for today on Fjordcast. Uh, we have a quick offer for you. Um, Carl is willing to send a, a signed copy of his latest book, Made to Lead. Is that your latest book, Carl? Yes, it is. All right. Um, to... One lucky person who shares um, the Fjordcast with um, with Twitter. So, if you post on hashtag Fjordcast, um, we will pick one lucky winner to be sent a signed copy of Carl's book, Made to Lead. And I'll send it to you wherever you are in the world. I've helped people in six continents so far. No one in Antarctica, but if you are in Antarctica, I will figure out how to get it to you. Very nice. Uh, thanks for joining us on the show today, Carl. Tim, great to be here. <laughs> you can find Carl's company at sakasandcompany.com. That's S-A-K-A-S and company.com. Thank you to our listeners for joining us as well. You can download episodes of the program by going to fjordsdigital.com slash fjordcast or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio.